This is Michelle Carville, co-author of Sustainable Marketing, How to Drive Profits with Purpose, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Michelle Carville to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book she has co-authored with Gemma Butler and Grant Evans, Sustainable Marketing, How to Drive Profits with Purpose, published by Bloomsbury Business. Michelle Carville founded the social media marketing agency Carville Creative in 2002. Its clients include the BBC, Nuffield Health, and Norboard. She is also the author of Get Social, Social Media Strategy and Tactics for Leaders, and Myths of Social Media, Dismiss the Misconceptions, and Use Social Media Effectively in Business, which was featured on episode 291 of the Marketing Book Podcast in August of 2020. Michelle is a regular contributor to BBC Radio, the Institute of Directors, the Chartered Institute of Marketing, and numerous magazines and trade journals as an expert in the field of social media and digital. And last year, Michelle was cited by Thinkers360 as one of the top 100 B2B marketers to follow. And interesting fact, she is a yoga teacher. Michelle, <laughs> congratulations on sustainable marketing and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for having me, Doug. It's great, 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 great to be here. Well, I want to congratulate you on this book and the, the listener is going to understand why, but I wanted to make, a, an, I guess, an apology or a confession of some type because I was like some of the people you describe in the book, you know, somewhat you know, I'm unaware of all the aspects of sustainable marketing. And my concern was that I'd, I'd read about it. And occasionally, I got the feeling like I was, you know, I was concerned that a book would be somewhat dogmatic mm-hmm. and, you know, lecturing as if I'm being lectured by someone like Greta Thunberg. How dare you? And that is not at all uh, what this book is. And it is it doesn't go into the politics it it's uh, very very clear and it really opened my eyes further to uh, the importance of this topic in other words i i thought it was important but i didn't have all the 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 full uh, background on on all these aspects of things and what's i think most interesting to me and i definitely want to talk about that early on is 
how important this is to customers <laughs> and, and the consumer, even if it's not important to your, your management. But I think you and your co-authors were very, very brave and showed a lot of leadership in, in writing this book, and it's definitely a book that needs to be written. And for the listener, I, I want to encourage you to listen to this interview. The reason why is because you could come into the office on Monday, if you come into an office, and you could be asked, your management might say, hey, what do you know about sustainable marketing? Maybe we should be doing something about this. And you don't want to be ambushed because marketers need to, to know about this. And not only that, Michelle, I think that there are so many things in here that are so great for marketers in terms of the way that marketing can be perceived by their organization. There's so much great leadership that marketers can be affecting sustainability. Now, they can't do it all by themselves, and we're going to talk about that mm -hmm. way. But one thing I want to mention from a, a housekeeping standpoint is I love the way you structured each chapter. <laughs> it includes, so the listener can know, it includes an introduction uh, as well as a, a summary, and then a section on, you know, where are we now? Here's where we are. And then Every chapter has a section on why do companies need to do something about this now? And it's just, it's a, it's, it's very clear and to the point. And then again, th there's such great leadership because you say, look, th th every chapter has a section on things that need to be acknowledged is not perfect. Okay. So you're saying, look, these are, go into this with both eyes open. But then the other thing that I, I mentioned earlier, Every chapter has a really detailed action point section. It's like a grid at the end of each chapter saying these are the very specific things to do, almost as if you're leading your organization or, or doing a workshop. And then there's a great glossary at the end of the book. So my hat's off to you and count me as a fan of this book. And I know that the listeners have been very excited about this interview coming up. Well, thank you, Doug. And what a great introduction to the book. And, you know, the three of us that wrote this book are marketers. And just as you said, you were skeptical, you didn't know the things that you didn't know, neither did we. You know, neither did we. And we, we, the reason we wrote this book is because the three of us, every time we got together working on various projects or just sitting around in a bar in the days when you could, you know, having a cocktail or two, uh, we would always get onto this the focus of responsible marketing, the role of the marketer, brand, purpose, um, and, you know, organizations that were doing it well, organizations that were, were getting it wrong. And we, we all kind of came to the conclusion that we had something to say on that, but not just something to say on it, but what would we want to do and how would we want to be supported as a marketer? And what would we look for uh, across across starting out with sustainable marketing? How would you even start with that? And that was really the question that we started with. So when we started writing the book, we had ideas, but we didn't really know as much as we now know. Uh, and and that's a gift both in writing this book has been a gift, not only, I hope, for the readers that we're imparting our understanding and giving people very tangible uh, things that they can be doing, but also it was an incredible learning curve for the three of us. I'm not surprised. And that, again, this back to the transparency of the book. It's like, here's here's where we are and here's what's not perfect. But it's, again, I keep using the leadership word. You, you've really, I think you've helped a generation of marketers get their arms around this topic and give them some very specific things to 
to know about and then to actually uh, go and do. And it's not simple, uh, but it can have an enormous impact. And I just have to laugh. Just a week or so ago, Tom Fishburne, the marketoonist, had a cartoon and uh, about uh, sustainable marketing. And I, I shared that with you, and you got a, a big uh, kick out of it. And he uh, was actually a past guest uh, on the show uh, for his book of uh, Your Ad Ignored Here, which was a review of the f- first 15 years of him doing these uh, cartoons. And it was almost like a history of marketing <laughs> going back 15 years. But he had this cartoon, and I'm going to include it on the show notes if Tom will uh, allow it. Otherwise, I'll put a link to his, the, his section, his website. But it's this man and a woman sitting at a conference table, and the lady says, what's our plan for sustainability? And then this fellow says... Our brand is already sustainable. Our package is recyclable, at least theoretically in a lab test. We donate to causes with green names. We even use claims like eco-happy. And then she says, but isn't there more we can do? And he says, of course. We haven't started advertising about it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was wondering, what was, what, was your, what was your thoughts about that cartoon? Yeah, I, I mean, that, and I think... It was just perfectly about what marketing or what people think marketing is. You know, mm-hmm. that let's now start promoting uh, the practicalities of, of what it is we're doing, which, of course, you, you can't just start there. You've got to start right back with brand, right back with purpose as to who are we, what is it that we stand for, and uh, how are we operating, you know, at a very operational level. What do our products do? What's our brand story? Uh, before before you obviously then get to the communications piece. And and I think for us, that was where one of our frustration lies. I, I'm sure we could have a very lengthy conversation about what marketing is and what, what marketing isn't. But from our perspective as, as marketers, we're looking at the breadth of where marketing impacts, starting with custodians of brand and all of those questions about why do why are we here? What is it that we're doing in this organisation? Um, what does our brand stand for? It's important for marketers to really align with because, of course, you don't want that brand and greenwashing, that purpose washing, when it comes to, well, we say we're sustainable, but when we're, we're kind of not really. We're just, tick- <laughs> we're just ticking a few boxes, but it's not really embedded within the organization. And, you know, that was, that was one of the elements when we talked about sustainability and leadership, and we talked about the, you know, starting off with brand. And we look at those organizations like the B corporations, which are growing very fast, that have a legal intention of of driving their organizations with a triple bottom line, you know, the people, profits, planet, not just all about shareholder value. And and that there is a shift that just seems right now to be collectively happening, whereby consumers have had enough. Uh, you know, they 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 are they are expecting trust and honesty and transparency from organizations. Um, the Elderman Trust Barometer this year came out and identified that business now is really the only 
entity left where there is trust and expectation beyond governments, beyond even NGOs. Business now has this great opportunity to really impact and make a difference. And of course, the consumers are calling out for this. The investors are calling out for for more purpose and and more sustainable practice. And so organisations have to kind of wake up. And and, and a lot of organisations, it's not that they've set out with, you know, wanting to harm people, the planet, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. that it wasn't really part of the strategy necessarily, or maybe it was, and they've just lost their way. And now they're going to have to start reversing back into that purpose-led business. Um, So, so yes, so I think there's a lot of shifts and changes, but of course, it's going to come down to people within that organization to now say, okay, so what do we do? How do we go about doing this? It's all very well to say we want to support and we want to make a difference and 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 there's there's legislation that some organizations and I'm sure more legislation will will come into play and there'll be more regulation and legislation about what people can and can't do around their emissions and their carbon footprint, etc. But Organisations that want to get started, where do they start and who do they go to? And for us, the marketer who is proficient in brand, who is often aligned with strategy, not as much as I would like them to be as, as in as many cases. You know, there's not enough marketers still around the board table, although it is changing. Um, and of course, they are the masters of communication and understanding the consumer, the psychology and the behaviour and changing behaviour and persuading behaviour. I mean, marketers, I remember when I was uh, putting the book out for reviews and I spoke to a climate scientist and he said to me, Michelle, you know, sustainable marketing, isn't that an oxymoron? All right. (laughs) You're you're part of the problem. You know, you've created a certain way, yeah. Yeah, you've created this problem with driving over consumption, driving the advertising, the behavioural changes. Um, and for us, we still, we, and, and as marketers, it's about switching that power for good. Yes. And going all the way back to the Marketunist cartoon about let's let's run ads, it almost seems like that's one of the last things you should do. Get your own house in order and your your supply chain and, and several other things uh, because uh, with the social media, you talk about how consumers have such granular information now, not only about companies, but about their, uh, their supply chains. Let me read an excerpt from the beginning just to give folks a, a little more sense of the book. And then I want to ask you about where consumers are with all these things. Mm. You write, we were inspired to write this book following numerous conversations with fellow marketing professionals and business leaders, increasing numbers of whom are seeking to embrace a profits with purpose approach to their marketing strategy, whilst still naturally keen to ensure that their companies continue to grow. Our intention in this book, therefore, is to both educate and bring awareness of the current realities we face and provide some ideas and benchmarks for what best practice and sustainability looks like for modern marketers, as well as how to embrace a cause-led strategy. Ultimately, we want to help you grow, whilst at the same time, how to leave the world a better place. We will explore a variety of Related and highly relevant issues from the current global picture on sustainability and gaining true boardroom buy-in to offering practical day-to-day advice to enable marketing professionals 
to take the lead in driving sustainable practice within their company. The book also details inspiring examples of best practice and direct interviews from companies from all over the world that are using sustainability as a source of brand loyalty and competitive advantage. As we look back in time as authors, we're hopeful that following the period of coronavirus, the 2020s will be the age in which boardrooms around the globe wake up to the reality of running a business focused on making profits with purpose, with an authentic desire to take a more sustainable approach. Indeed, headlines report that climate change is a hot topic in every boardroom, and this isn't surprising. As we entered the 2020s, climate change manifested itself through the Australian bushfires, some of the worst ever experienced, providing a chilling wake-up call. It should be noted, however, that whilst Greta Thunberg, David Attenborough, and other prominent activists align these catastrophes with climate change, and a body of climate scientists would agree with them, there's also, of course, a smaller body of climate scientists who would argue that it's got nothing to do with the climate. Nevertheless, in general terms, consumers are waking up and becoming ever more conscious of these issues, which are projected into our everyday lives by all forms of media. So, Michelle, can you talk more about how important this is to customers, and I would add particularly younger customers? Yeah, well, there are so many now bodies of research that are that are talking about the impact of this. Um, the 80% of people say that they are loyal to businesses that help them to achieve a more sustainable life. That if, if something makes you feel good, then you want to do more of it, don't you? So, yes. uh, you know, that's, that's how we're conditioned. But of course, um, then it comes into the role of marketing to make sure that the communication of what you're actually saying to consumers is trustworthy and it isn't greenwashing and of course there's there's a challenge with that uh, 78% of consumers want tell others people to buy from purpose driven companies they they want i mean these are big numbers you know they are 6 out of 10 consumers are saying that they would happily change their shopping habits to reduce the environmental impact and they're happy to pay premiums up to 35% more for a product for brands that are sustainable and environmentally responsible. So there is desire. Um, there's also been a growing awareness around the climate um, because of the Attenborough effect, because that aspect now is is so much more prevalent prevalent in our lives. And of course, as you say, the younger generations, it's, 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 I mean, I've got a 14 year old and an 18 year old. It's part of their narrative. It's not an unusual, it, it's, it's, it's how they, they, you know, they are so much more aware than I was at oh, their yeah, age. Same with my kids. Yeah. They're in their twenties. And, uh, you know, people who complain about the younger generation, sometimes I say, well, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I think they got a lot going on. Yeah. And, and it's quite interesting, you know, that I've heard a few stories around organisations that it's the CEOs who've got teenagers and younger, you know, 
children at home that are saying, what are you doing about climate change then? That are actually challenging the parents that are that are making them think that, I mean, I think there's a famous quote, isn't there, by um, a senior executive in, a, in an asset management fund who said, I've got two Greta Thunbergs at home and, and, <laughs> uh, and I, so I've got to, I've got to do something, you know, I'm being challenged from that perspective. So, so I think there is that, but of course, consumers, people are also your employees, aren't they? They are also looking for it uh, as well. They are the consumers. So they're also looking to work with organisations who are driving a more sustainable agenda. Um, And it was quite interesting. There was a a study that recently came out from um, Purpose, a Purpose 2020 report, and it was saying that 76%, it was asking about organisations and purpose, and it was saying, you know, do do you believe as a marketer that your organisation uh, has a defined purpose? And 76% of marketers said, yes, we do believe that our organisation has that purpose. But only 10% would agree that the purpose went beyond their shareholder value or the product service promotion within that organization there was no there was no inclusion only 10% said that it included a societal societal commitment so there's a big divide there isn't there between people marketers employees consumers believing that there is a purpose but actually how how active that purpose is out in the landscape and those those gaps and those divides are going to catch up with organizations that aren't being progressive in this area. Yes, and I seem to recall something in the book where it showed taking this approach, getting their hands around it, actually helps with attracting the right kind of employees and reduces the churn of employees. And I hear from so many business owners who say, you know, I don't really need so much more business as I need more of the right kind of employees. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, a really big uh, challenge for them. Well, you talked about, you know, maybe there's a, a CEO with uh, family members who are pushing them in the right direction. But in the book, you talk about how a lot of boards are not necessarily looking for sustainable business leaders. And there doesn't seem to be quite the demand for it. I think, obviously, it's going to change. But mm. what is it at a company, besides maybe having the kids uh, telling the parent about these issues, what is it that actually does make a company start to move in this direction? And I, I say that because there are a lot of companies that are doing a really good job. They take care of their customers. They're making a good product. They're not polluting. But still, there's so much more... I mean, they're not getting fined for polluting, let's say, mm. but they, yeah. they, they, they really are trying to do the right thing. And I think that's who we're, we're in my mind, that's who you're, you're trying to, yeah. to talk to. What is it that prompts a company to start paying attention? Is it a new uh, CEO or is there an attack, a social media attack? Or what, what are the kinds of things that suddenly uh, shock a company into realizing they need to start paying more attention to this? I love that you say shock a company, Douglas, because it's so true, isn't it? It's like we are inherently kind of lazy and comfortable until there is a crisis. uh, And then we are kind of shocked into into making that move. And, and I think it can be I think it can be uh, a challenge. You you know, we have seen media storms, Twitter storms, uh, that have 
then alerted leadership teams to say, you know what, maybe maybe we should be doing something about this. But I, but also there are there are organisations that start off. You know, there are the Ben and Jerry's, there are the the thousands of growing B Corps now that start off with purpose at, at the very heart of them. So they 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 have that altruism already inbuilt. It's it's part of the strategy. It's it's how that business is going to be. Which when we go back to what the purpose of business has always been about, that's kind of what it started as all those years ago. When we look at those great organisations, they they were built and developed to support the communities that they they served um and and of course we've got lost from that uh, we've moved away from that over the last 50 60 years and it's just become more inherent about uh, shareholder value shareholder value that you know driving driving the um driving the numbers uh, at any cost and i think what's making organizations kind of wake up now is either this there is this kind of pressure from society but I also think that it's when you've got and I think it's quite telling you know we mentioned in the book that BlackRock one of the biggest asset funds in the in the world yes um, I was just going to ask you about that that was a real shock to me I I was amazed and and let's let's talk about that because and the reason why there are there are a lot of companies out there that that need employees and they need mm-hmm. funding they need investors mm-hmm. <laughs> more mm-hmm. more than anything else talk about what blackrock for instance is doing well blackrock is a large very large uh hedge fund i guess is that they are investors? Yeah. what talk yeah. about what they're doing uh, well what they committed to in in 2019 was the the that any they would not be supporting any organization if it did not have a climate sustainable plan. Um, so if it didn't have that at the heart of its strategy, then it was not going to get any funding. And and what was interesting about that statement was it was big news and everyone was like, whoa, this is, this is going to send shockwaves through the markets and uh, into organizations because it was a real message about what's what's required and and of course what we saw what was reported this year is in 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 since that statement there's been a 96% increase in sustainable investment mm. things just got real yeah that's an enormous number and every year Larry Fink, the CEO at, at BlackRock, writes a letter to CEOs. And in that, he's kind of, in, you know, this the letter of 2019 said that that was his intention. And this, time, this year, his intent was all around there being a central reporting framework because at the moment, there are just, I mean, it is, we talk about it in the book, there are just, it's impossible for organisations to kind of understand how they measure this or how they even know they're doing well, uh, which is definitely one of the things that needs to be acknowledged as as far from perfect right now but interestingly this year after we'd written the book um he he came out and, and said that that is what they want to work towards a simple set of metrics that every organization can report on so that you can't be fudging the numbers so that the carbon footprint is is and the you know the the metrics are going to be the carbon reporting is going to be very very transparent um way more transparent than it is now and i suspect that's going to be another kind of shock to the system but 
much called for. So I think what drives it is a moral compass. I think societal pressure. Um, but I also think, without a doubt, financial financial support and financial direction, uh, those steers coming from those, you know, the organisations that manage trillions and trillions of investment into mm. businesses is is going to be a big, a big catalyst. Yeah, that's great. Well, one metric he's not going to have is how many uh, ads using the term eco-happy have you run? <laughs> it's going to be more subs substantive uh, metrics that they that they want to look at. So in the book, you write that without management CEO support, this isn't really going to work. What, what, what happens? Did, uh, in, in that instance, I guess one of the questions would be, what can a marketer do if the C-suite's not involved? But also, what are the perils of management saying, oh, yeah, I, I read the, about this in an in-flight magazine, you – Marketing person, go do sustainable marketing. <laughs> Discuss. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. So, and I'll, so, be, I'll be back in about forty-five minutes to see how. Yeah, you're doing. I know. Maybe forty-five hours. Um, but, but you know, to take the first point around it being led from the top. Well, that just makes life easier for everybody, doesn't it? If you've got the leader behind everything, saying this is the this is even if you've got your mission statement and your purpose, but but it needs some work, you've got that support at the top to say, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's really focus now down on what our focus is on societal issues, on how we are making a difference. Let's look at all of the different aspects across our value chain that we can be impacting. If that is happening from the top and you've got leadership buy-in and they get it, it's just going to make everything so much simpler because they fundamentally hold the purse strings. They fundamentally, it's just one battle you don't have to fight. So you're going to have people on board and that should make developing a lot of the frameworks and a lot of the stuff that we've suggested in here from a marketing perspective to 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 fly however if well, that let, me, is, let me interrupt i'm sorry but yeah. also keep in mind marketers it's not just the marketing department's going to do that it's that's oh, no. really a very small part of it and in the book you talk about why it's important to get buy-in from from all the departments again that takes us back to why the ceo has to be calling the shots here a hundred percent, because yeah, I mean, we we have a podcast, you know, can marketing save the planet? And we ask, can marketing save the planet? And everybody says yes, with friends, <laughs> and 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 that's kind of true because you are going to need to get the the finance gut team on board. You you are going to have to work in, internally, you know, across all of the um, different employees. Your HR, your everything needs operations. to operations. Operational, everything needs to be considered. But, you know, the interesting thing is that that's where marketing is often playing anyway, because it is part of employer brand. It's part of, uh, you know, has to understand the budgets and has to align. And hopefully the CMO and CFO are very, very good friends uh, because they need one needs to understand the other and the other one needs to get the budgets to be able to do what they need to do. So, so it is across the board. So yes, so if you've got the leadership team on board, it's going to make the rollout so much more 
impactful and simpler. If, however, though, that isn't the case, or if somebody's read it in the in-flight magazine and they say, you go do it, Mm -hmm. then this is the key because, you know, the whole thing about this book that we've written is about education. It's about starting people on the road to education. I didn't know the majority of the things that I have now learned having read this book, written this book, and and all of the other reports and findings that we've developed, you know, that, that go into this book. So the first thing for that marketer is to really educate themselves. So they're not playing at this, that they are equipped. And this is a tool. Our book was that that tool to say, you know, this isn't a kind of 101, oh, 10 steps. This is what you do as simple as that. You need to really get underneath the skin of this so that you can then really understand the impact that you can make and what is involved. And then you go back having understood what really is involved. You go back to the C-suite and you say, okay, so this is this is what's really involved and this is what it's really going to take. And and this means I'm going to need your support to do this because this isn't something a department can do. We can champion it. We can start it. We can lead it but we are going to need buy-in from the whole of the organization because this comes back to brand and who owns brand every single person within the organization amen you know (laughs) it's true and and so and so whose responsibility is that that isn't a departmental responsibility that is it's 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 the lifeblood of what the organization stands for so if the marketer gets that the marketer is the the ideal communicator, the ideal persuader to build that business case, to show the stats, to show the facts. They are the ideal people to go out into the market to say, this is what our competitors are doing. They are the ideal people to go out and say, this is best practice. Look at what this organization is doing and look at the financial performance because, you know, everything we talk about is that profits with purpose good business is good for business. I mean, financially, it's off the scale. So so the marketer is the person that does that research, builds the business case, and then communicates it elegantly and persuadingly to the board to say, this is what we are now going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. You know, another thought that came to me when you were in the book, you give examples of some studies where it showed that more successful companies were actually taking this approach. In other words, it was actually helping their business. But it also seemed like those companies that can start to get their arms around sustainable marketing are, are probably better run anyway, <laughs> just because they're 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 keeping they're running their business well, which makes them even more effective at uh, introducing more sustainable marketing and, and and all the things that you talk about there. Let's get into a couple of things in the book, and I want you to explain about supply chain sustainability. In other words, your where your products or where your 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 goods are coming from, we're all starting to live in a glass house of supply chain. In other words, you can you can find any number of articles that talk about how Nike or Apple or who's producing their products and that yep. sort of thing. And uh, talk about uh, supply chain sustainability. And I should add that first, we want to get our own house in order. Uh, That was one of the takeaways I had 
from from my from your book, it's it's a good idea to start focusing on yourself. But then you need to turn to your supply chain and find out what they're doing. What are some of the things that people should be should know about their what they should be asking their supply chain? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's it's sometimes when depending on how an organization is structured, the supply chain is often sometimes around convenience, sometimes around cost and price. You know, it's they they, de- they deliver this on time. Uh, they can get this product for the right price. And again, sometimes the questions aren't necessarily asked about, well, how are they getting that cost? That How are they driving those costs? Where, where is, where is, where is that chocolate coming from that's going into the product that we now sell? Yes. Um, and, you, you know, what is involved in that supply chain? And that, those questions, we need to go down the chain to understand who it is that we are working with. I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? If you, it's, it's like how many, if you are so far removed, you can't say that this product is 100% recyclable if you don't know about how it's actually being procured, all the different components that are being uh, created that go into the end final product that is your brand and that you're selling. If you haven't taken responsibility for the whole end-to-end understanding of that product, then that's where your sustainable practice can fall down. And there are brands, there are a number of brands. I know Unilever, you know, have said they've had to break uh, partnerships and relationships with people because as they are committing to more sustainable products, then some of the partnerships that they've had in place just don't meet their criteria. So I think it's about understanding, again, doing the research, going back and when was the last time you assessed those supply chains and what was the criteria for assessment? If it's purely around price, then that may not be a fair way of doing business. So again, you've got this societal issue that could be challenged. Um, But also, if you're not aware of every component, then you can't at the end put your, your messaging out there to say, well, yes, we are sustainable, when actually that's total greenwashing because you are not 100% sure of the heritage uh, or the, you know, where these, where these, um, the procurement along the value chain or along the supply chain. Yes. Let's talk about another term that's in this nice glossary in the back of the book. Uh, CSR, you quote Professor Dr. Thomas Bishorn, mm-hmm. Director of the Institute for Business Ethics at the University of St. Gallen. When he's explaining CSR, he says, CSR is a bit like teenage sex. Most say they are doing it, but they aren't. And those that are doing it are doing it badly. <laughs> of course, that got my interest right there. But Michelle Carville, what is CSR? Well, CSR is corporate social responsibility, isn't it? This this was a framework that I suppose was, blimey, I mean, I think it's probably about 20, 30 years old, maybe older, um, maybe from the 50s, I think it was initially introduced and then it was adapted by businesses. And it was probably the first stab of how organizations, a framework really for how organizations, and, and we have the framework in the book and it it's kind of, 
it's not overly complex, but if you were to look at, for example, one area, I'm just going to that particular framework. Um, if you were to go to the framework here, you'd see that in the middle, you've got the business and then you've got your economic performance issues, your social performance issues and your environmental performance issues. And your stakeholders kind of sit in the middle and your stakeholders would be your employees, your suppliers, the government, perhaps your investors, your customers, the environment is a stakeholder and um, any communities that you affect. And then you've got your outside ring. So they're kind of like three concentric circles that, that cross over and the sweet spot in the middle is, is the business. But of course, within the social aspects, you've got things like economic development, responsible marketing, working conditions, human rights, diversity, environmental performance issues, climate change, biodiversity, product stewardship. And then you've got the economic side of things, corporate governance, political influence, reputation, risk management, intellectual capital, market share, supply chain, eco-efficiency. So you can see that making sure that every single one of those elements is not only ticked, but is also, I mean, if, if let's take the, the subject of diversity, well, diversity, diversity in itself has got so many other levels, hasn't it? It's got gender, it's got race, it's got ethnicity, it's got socioeconomic status, it's got religion, it's got politics, it's got physical. You can see that that is just one component of these, I think there are 24 key elements in in, in a typical corporate social responsibility um, framework. And then, of course, it gets broken down and broken down. So the challenge with CSR is that organisations would choose one thing or they'd say, oh, you know, let's get a yoga teacher in for once every month. Oh, and I, that, I know one, Michelle. Yeah, Carlyle. yeah, exactly. I, I, and, 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 Although uh, I didn't see that on your website for one of the no, services your company offers. No, no it's, it's, it's definitely not a service the company offers. But, but um it's just something I have to do to keep me sane. But the work, for example, that could tick a box for, oh, working conditions. Okay, so let's get the, and that, so organizations could pretty much take these frameworks and then, uh, I suppose, interpret them as, oh, well, yes, we've, we, we're doing CSR and that's our tick box for that. <laughs> Yes. And there isn't, there isn't really, it's not really regulated. There are so many numerous schemes and, and, um, and different ways that organizations, I mean, if I think if you went to 300 companies and you said, can I look at your, and they all said, yeah, we practice CSR. And we said, oh, can we have a look at your CSR framework? It would all be very different. And that's the challenge mm. that there isn't a, everybody can just kind of take the bits and, and do a little bit, but say, oh yeah, well, we're, we're doing CSR, but, but they're not really. You right. Know? Um, kind of reminds and, me of companies that say we're doing marketing, but they're. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. But they might say, oh yeah, we do CSR. We've got a recycling bin right next to the trash uh, receptacle. Exactly. Uh, and, and speaking of that, let's talk about reducing waste in the workplace. Mm. I want to quote from page 107. It says, whilst it is hard to imagine that many companies in the 2020s are 
actively choosing not to put their energy into workplace waste reduction, it is also not yet a strong boardroom topic. And despite its obvious benefits, reducing waste is often mired with traditional business case thinking and a focus on outdated methods of assessing return on investment because it's perceived that in many cases, employing waste reduction doesn't seem to directly produce revenue or lead to short-term cost saving. So what are some of the things that companies can do to begin to address the issue of waste in their uh, marketing activity, but also in their company? I mean, it's there are so many simple ways, aren't there? Oh, I, I absolutely. Mean, we cite a number around from looking at paper, for example. Yes. I, I, it's just how much paper gets wasted within organizations. Um, yes, but Michelle, I am still going to send you a thank you note for being on yeah. the Marketing Book Podcast. <laughs> thank you. And, and I will keep that and uh, cherish it because things like that. But this is, you know, I'm talking about the the need to print out the annual report that nobody reads and it yes. sits in the storage cupboard, you know, for, till the next annual report. And then all of a sudden you've got a storage cupboard, which is full of annual reports that nobody's ever done anything with because somebody on the road said, no, we've got to have it because such and such a person enjoys it. So, you know, just switching from saying we're going to do that digitally. And if you want a copy, it costs X to have a copy printed out. I mean, you see so many more publications doing that type of thing. So simple things look just do you really need to print this email? You know, basic things like that, looking at energy sources, looking at whether or not everything is powered um by renewable energies, by looking at whether things get turned off in the evening. <laughs> Lights are often left on the whole time, aren't they? Um, simple things like not boiling the kettle every time, but rather having coffee coffee that is already pre-made so people can just pour that out. So it's made in batches and you're not constantly utilising energy. Uh, and I mean, I spoke to a CEO of a law firm uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, on our podcast, and she was saying that they looked at waste within the workplace across their law firm. And it was incredible that tens of thousands of pounds savings that they were able to come to just in a simple little brainstorm uh, you, you know she said it took an hour and we were like really we could oh yeah we could yes. and we and that is doable 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 so it was not just cost savings it was innovations it was things that people were doing and do we really need to do that sometimes we're just not even asking the question we're right, very we're not conscious very of it no, we're not conscious. We're just habitual and we just carry on without thinking about the waste. And I know organizations that talk to other organizations about waste management, and yet they're not kind of, you know, cobbling their own shoes um, and and doing their own thing in-house. And, and and it's kind of like a wake-up call for the, themselves. So so there, there are lots of... Um, Simple things. And as I said, we have a whole checklist in oh, the back yeah, of the absolutely. book. But, you know, it also seemed to me like there are a lot of companies, maybe some uh, their employees are listening, where they're not even thinking, well, what are we throwing out? I mean, you're oh. paying someone to haul this away. <laughs> What's in there? Does it make sense? Sometimes you do have to throw things out. Can any of that be recycled? Just that simple question. Well, I want to go on to uh, another uh, topic, which is uh, – 
I guess more controversial than I realized, and I really uh, I learned a lot. But first, I want to play a clip from that 1960s movie, The Graduate. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir. You. Plastics. Oh. <laughs> so, Michelle. Oh. Let's talk about plastics and you know how how marketers are contributing to the problem of plastic now. And and in all fairness, not all plastic is bad. And you're very clear, like pipes, pipeline. Uh, you know, like in a home, not not lead and not yeah. iron, yeah. Uh, med- plastic and medical devices. There's there's all good kinds of things. So if there's any people from the plastics industry, we're not coming after you. But talk about what is bad about plastic, and I'll give you an idea from <laughs> page 140. I was astonished when you wrote that a million plastic bottles are bought around the world every minute. Yeah. And that number is actually going to jump another 20% this year. I know. And it's at a time where, you know, we've seen the seas of plastic and the turtles with the straws up their noses. And, and the pictures of those uh, plastic islands floating uh, yeah. in the Pacific Island. Yeah. Oh, it just makes my yeah. heart ache. It is. And, and you know, this comes down to a more systemic issue around designing product with the end in mind. And, um, and plastic has been convenient, hasn't it? It's just, it's just what everybody does. You can shape it, you can color it, you can have, you can, and again, the marketers have made every plastic container different because they then use the packaging as a point of differentiation. Mm-hmm. And communication. And communication, absolutely critical communication. And yeah, the world produces a shocking 381 million tons of plastic waste annually, and that is set to double. So even though we've got these targets, you know, we're presenting, we're doing more and more of this. 50% of that plastic use is single use plastic. And, And that is the challenging plastic the single use plastic because that there is no excuse now for single use plastic there are so many innovations i mean we talk about um aquapack polymers in our book but there are others but you know what mark and his team have done is created a solution to single use plastic which is totally scalable so a lot of these innovations around plastic just aren't scalable for the size of organizations and the amount of plastic that is required but there are organizations and more than than just his that do have that scale so there's the the single use plastic is the unforgivable plastic right really. can you talk also about the you say there's high levels of misinformation about plastic there is huge high levels of misinformation because, of course, what happens is as consumers, we see on our food packaging and, uh, you know, the nice little the nice little three arrows and we think, oh, that means recycle. It doesn't have anything to do with meaning recyclable. You know, these are messages that are very misleading. Yes, you know, it brought to mind for me, I'm sure that I must have put something in the recycling bin when it had a, a message on the package that said uh, recycle. And what they're saying is you should recycle, but not necessarily that thing. 
<laughs> exactly. That's exactly what that message said. It's and it's but how misleading is that? Yes. That that's on that that's on the packaging. And and of course that wish cycling is something we all do. We all just take these plastic containers and we put them in our curbside recycling. And of course, a lot of that, the majority, I mean only nine percent of the plastic that has ever been created has been recycled ever mm. ever mm. and i i think that number just got worse i think Gemma sent me uh an email well i know Gemma sent me the email and i think the number has gone down to five percent because of the amount now that has happened since those statistics that we wrote um has increased even just to 2021 and of course ppe activity through covid19 won't have helped that will have exacerbated some of those challenges um and and for nobody's fault you know it's just we, nobody knew we were going to be dealing with that pandemic um but yeah that that is a shocking statistic isn't it and that's yeah. ever been recycled even though the majority of plastic that you pick up will say recyclable i mean i'm having an ongoing challenge with a with a, a very large global manufacturer around the fact that they keep saying that their packaging is recyclable and it isn't recyclable. It's only recyclable if I get in my car and drive 45 miles to a specialist unit that will recycle that type of plastic. And then there's only a small percent of chance that it actually will get recycled, even if I take that journey. Yeah, you know, I think Chapter 7 probably got me the angriest. You know, yeah. you, you made me laugh. You made me cry. It was an emotional roller coaster reading your book. No, I'm, mm. no but seriously, I, that got me angry. And I know this sounds really strange, but have you heard of an organization? I think it may be only in the United States called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It's yeah. called MAD. And it may only be in the United States. But years ago, there wasn't this uh, concern and heightened awareness of drunk driving. It was – I, I – I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say think people just didn't think so much about it. Yeah. But a lot of mothers who lost their children because of drunk drivers got organized, and they've completely changed the the perception, and they've changed the game, and they've changed the debate, meaning there's a lot more pressure on people not to drive drunk. Now, they still do, but it, it it's not a cool thing, and you're, you're no. considered more of a social outcast for doing that, and you're probably killing people. I say that my son is a paramedic, so I know he, he deals with a lot of this. But I'm almost wondering if that spark that lit for me in Chapter 7 about plastic is the type of thing that's getting employees and maybe the younger people to start really paying uh, attention to this and, and ask for this uh, certain changes about all this, this plastic and, and all the other sustainable things. Absolutely. I mean, plastic, the floating seas of plastic and, you know, that Attenborough effect, because that's where that came from. I mean, there are, it's estimated as there are more plastics in the sea than fish. Um, and, 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 and so that is very emotive and it's very, it's unnecessary. There are some cases and very good use cases for plastic in, in medical uh, use in, in a, you know, as we said, and as we say, you know, it's, it's, there are some very, plastic is an incredible thing. It can be used, but we've got this overuse of plastic and it's this over convenient thing. But the challenge with this plastics and the individuals making a difference with plastic is the choice. 
Mm-hmm. Because when you go to the supermarkets, it's very difficult to buy things that don't have some form of plastic. I mean, it's starting to change, but the mainstream is still largely plastic containers. And there are some fantastic uh, solutions like Loop from TerraCycle where you, you get your metal containers and you go and you refill them yourself, you know, and these refill uh, stations are happening and becoming more relevant because we have to create a different solution now rather than just consume, consume, consume. We have to be thinking about how can we not just recycle, but how can we change the system? Because we don't have the infrastructures in place to recycle all of the waste that we as humans create. We just don't have the infrastructures and to build those infrastructures has a carbon challenge itself. And so the innovations have to come from doing things differently. And that's where the role really of organizations and and businesses and um, manufacturers has to start thinking about the responsibility of when they are creating a product, designing a product, marketing a product, they they are thinking about the whole life cycle of that product. What is the end of life of this product? How does this leave no trace or the least trace that it can authentically do. And at the moment, the 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 onus is on the consumer largely to yes. be the person responsible for cleaning up the mess. And yet the consumer doesn't have the opportunity to design with the end in mind. Um, and so so the consumers and, and very much, you know, this is part of the communication from a marketing perspective, is that the consumers once educated about the reality of what that packaging is, will then be making those conscious decisions about, well, that's not actually quite right. I'm, I'm not going to buy that product. I'm going to try and find another way, which will drive the manufacturers to, and the brands to have to make the difference, to have to make the changes, to have to take that level of responsibility. Yes. And there are only 12 chapters in the book. One is on plastics and one is on packaging. And the packaging plays, uh, you know, an, an, an enormous role, as you've already touched mm-hmm. on. And it brought to mind for me, and I don't recall if I saw this in the book, but um, Amazon has been putting pressure to reduce packaging uh, on their the, the manufacturers or the suppliers or whatever. And I th- seem to recall, I could be wrong, that they wanted it to be easier to open things. In other words, they didn't want a lot of waste because the customers were cutting themselves and, and, and hurting themselves. But I seem to recall they're putting pressure on the manufacturers to use less waste. And mm. again, it ends up costing less to ship. It costs less to ship. It, uh, you know, and it's, it is, it is going to be the Amazons. I mean, there is the, uh, the Earth Fund now, isn't it? That Bezos, the Bezos Earth Fund is committed to a billion pounds a year for sustainable causes and for innovation around these aspects and and so i think you know it is it is going to be that type of pressure that starts to drive organizations to have to make these changes i mean hopefully people it starts to meet in the middle that organizations are innovating and a lot of them are a lot of them are innovating i mean Unilever have seen an enormous 
um, commercial benefit from their products that are, um, I think it's their, their products that are purpose-driven and that stand for something and that have a more sustainable um, life, they are outperforming their other products by 69%. So Alan Job, the CEO there, has clearly recognises that impact and is, has stated that they are moving towards 100% of their products to be sustainable and to stand for supporting sustainable practice. Um, and so, and so it, it is going to be that blend of, of organisations saying, well, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Consumers saying, I'm not standing for that. Stop selling me these, stop telling me these lies, you know, and actually say it as it is or, or, or and making different consumption choices once educated uh, and and it's 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 almost that creates the perfect storm that drives innovation because that's what always drives change isn't it out of struggle comes change mm -hmm. and back to the word shock <laughs> or shock yeah exactly right. we we need that shock to to actually be the driver and i think there's a number of that it's almost like the storm is brewing yes. consumers um the you know the client i mean we we haven't talked about the climate yet. i don't want to be political but of course we we have certain and we talk about the goals and the the sdgs and the the, the goals uh that are focused on what we need to do. And this is the decade that we need to change things. And we can't wait till 2030 to say, oh, yeah, now we need to start. We need to start now. Yes. And we almost run out of time, but there are uh, other chapters on um, the climate change and the carbon challenge and uh, sustainable energy and working you know, uh, working with NGOs, uh, organizations. Yeah. And it was so funny at that part about how the perception is that um, NGOs are very trustworthy, but maybe not as competent. And the businesses are considered very competent, but not very trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, but it, but it works. And again, it goes back to that transparency uh, that you all, all have in this book. So Michelle, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? My hope is that we all become more educated on this thorny subject, um, whether that is understanding more about the sustainable um, goals, whether it's reading this book and learning like I did and like Gemma and Garrett did uh, so much more about the reality of what goes on when we're consuming and uh, living Um is, is really that education piece. I would, you know, if, if we can just start to get people curious to say, is that right? Am I being spun a line here? Or, um, you know, what is the reality that is going on? Or how is this product so cheap? You know, why is this still in plastic? Surely, does it need all of this packaging? You know, if we can just get people to start questioning their own behavior and start to get curious about educating themselves about the reality, then that is that is one of the shocks that will start to shift things. Well, Michelle, I think you should consider yourself successful because that is exactly what the effect this book had on me. And I am so glad that I read it. It's a little bit outside what are the normal kind of books I'm reading uh, for the show. And again, this is this is a real standout book, and I appreciate it. I think it's going to be a milestone. Looking back, I'm going to say, yep, that's 
uh, things changed uh, in my thinking and learning uh, after having read this book, and it makes me want to learn more. Actually, I want to I want to keep reading about this. Yeah, and that's what happened to me, Doug. You know, I've I've now gone on and I've read so much more and so broader around the subject, and uh, and it's fascinating, and it's. You know, marketers, bringing it back to the marketer, marketers are are masters when it comes to communication, when it comes to persuading. Look what we've done when we put our sites to changing the way people think about smoking. You know, Mm -hmm. once upon a time it was cool. Now it's definitely not cool. Or or drunk driving. Or drunk driving, as you said. You know, we have this opportunity to really affect social change, powerful social change. But we have to be educated. We can't do it with spin. We have to be educated and passionate about wanting to 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 make that change. And I think once you're educated and informed about what the realities are, you can be it's very human to want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Well, let's have some fun. What What is one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of these today, ideas yeah, yeah. From, from your book or, or something we've talked about? Yeah. So today you could just start thinking about maybe cutting down on your meat intake. Yes, um, yes. One simple thing, you know, just eat a more plant-based diet. Even if you absolutely love meat, try out some of these fantastic, weird plant-based uh, recipes and foods that are out there because by reducing the meat consumption, we are reducing our carbon um, footprint. Yes, and you include in the book, and we didn't talk about it, about how much uh, meat production contributes to pollution. And there is a great documentary that I watched on Netflix a couple years ago called Forks Over Knives. Mm. It was all about plant-based diets and the uh, positive effect it has on your on your on your health. So I'll include a link to that in the in the show notes. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Well I from my last time I asked that question, you said, "Yeah, I'm working on one called Sustainable Marketing." <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Um, so I'm just reading a book that uh, you know, myths. We we talked about this. Myths has been shortlisted for the Business Book Awards here in the UK, oh, which is congratulations, great, which is great. And one of the one of the finalists in the sales and marketing category is a. A book called Greener Marketing by John Grant. So, of course, that piqued my interest because I thought, ooh, I've not heard about this. Now, this book is almost like an encyclopedia of what is happening with the climate. I mean, it's it's really, it's very different to our book. Our book is very much more focused on marketing. This is what you can be doing. This is how you can be doing. Here's some practical things you can do. Here's our framework. This is how you go about building a sustainable marketing uh, pr- practice within your business. What John has done is kind of talked all around all of the thorny issues in in much more depth, I suppose, than we have. And he's gone into uh, a lot more about the activism and various elements like that. So it's a it's a very good book, and it's I don't know how he's fitted everything in that he has because it's it's extensive. But I'm I've I've absolutely loved reading it, and again again continued to learn. So that's one book, and then I've just ordered. 
Um, the Future We Choose, It's Just Arrived, Surviving the Climate Crisis by the very, very, very inspirational Christiana Figueres and her business partner, Tom Rivett Karnak. And um, it, it, I mean, she's just, she's the, you know, the, the lady who has basically successfully brought together the Paris Agreement and this is the book she's she's a a gritty optimist and I would say I'm a gritty optimist and uh and so I'm really looking forward to to getting stuck into that this weekend oh interesting yeah I'm looking at them both on on Amazon here and um we will at at, at marketingbookpodcast.com we're going to include links to everything linkable including the books that you've mentioned uh and we're going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile and your your agency site and i would like to ask the listener to do me a big favor please reach out to michelle and thank her for being on the podcast past guests have talked about how happy they are to hear from listeners and if there's something she talked about that interested you, tell her that. Or if you have a question for her, reach out to her uh, and ask that. And uh, if you're listening on the to the podcast on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite, favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote, we fully recognize that marketing sustainability is no easy task. As marketers ourselves, we are all fully aware of the challenge of influencing boardrooms and the rest of the organization you work within. Our view, however, is that there's no one better placed to drive and affect hope than a marketer with a responsibility to drive sustainability within their organization. The name of the book is Sustainable Marketing, How to Drive Profits with Purpose. The authors are Michelle Carvel. Gemma Butler, and Garant Evans. Michelle, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved, loved having another chat with you. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, 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 o